You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast, recording Sunday, June 6th. It's a two man game, a two man weave, a pick and roll. It is Dalton here with Lucas. Lou, how we doing? Hi, Dalt. Glad to be back for the second two-man weave of the MMP history. Um, very excited today, though. A little yin and yang, a little su- sweet and salty, Lou and Dalty. Throwback to the old days. Oh. Wow, this might be a spinoff podcast. Ooh-wee. The sweet and salty tones of Lucas and Dalton. So, this week on the Mini Market Podcast... We've got some Vikings news. Let's kick it off with some Vikes. They signed a cornerback, a big position of need. They signed Bashad Breeland, a seven-year veteran in the NFL. Last played for the KC Chiefs last year. Not really like a a high-end guy, but he seems like a good depth play. Lou, do you have any initial thoughts on Bashad Breeland? Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of like you said there. He's, he's. I don't think he's like a a, a sh- splash by any means, but uh, he's certainly played some some good some good minutes, some good time over this. this I think six seasons, seven seasons, something like that. Um, Thirty-two games for the uh, for the Chiefs over the past two seasons, um, including six playoff games. So he does have some playoff experience, which uh, was the big takeaway for me. And he was on that uh, Super Bowl team, so. That was yeah, that was a big takeaway for me. He's he's got some playoff experience that, that I think a lot of this team really doesn't have. Uh, so I'm hoping that will bring in kind of a new light to the defense. Um, so just a, another point of view of kind of how to win essentially. Um, and it sounds like he kind of does it all. I mean, he's got he's got tackles, he's got forced fumbles, he's got reco- fumble recoveries, he's got interceptions. Um, <clears throat> So he kind of does it all. I think he's he's not necessarily like an all-star at at one thing, but he's kind of just like a a gritty kind of all across the board solid player. So I'm I'm happy to have him. Uh, I did think it was kind of interesting. Usually we've talked about you know the Vikings draft just like a ton of defensive backs, cornerbacks, safeties, whatever, whatever they can get their hands on in the draft. But this year I think they took one, and then they've signed um, I believe three or four now. Uh, I guess th- three here with um, they had obviously Patrick Peterson, big buzz, and uh, they're bringing back Mackenzie Alexander as well. So interesting, Zim and uh, Zim and Spielman are switching it up, going the free agency route this year rather than the draft route. Yeah, yeah, Breland. It looks like he mostly he's mostly played outside uh, as a cornerback rather than in the slot. Uh, he's played almost what, 5,300 snaps in his career and like 4,100 of them. So like 80% of his snaps have been as an outside cornerback. So it looks like it'll be probably Peterson on one side and then maybe like a Dantzler, Breland sort of, you know, combo um, on the other. But he has played a little bit of safety, has played a little bit of of slot too. I kind of view it as like in a baseball sense because I'm more of a baseball guy than a football guy. It's sort of like if you sign maybe like a seventh inning setup man in the offseason – it sort of helps everyone who's below exactly. him on the totem yeah. pole. Like everyone else sort of shifts down, plays in a little bit lower leverage situation, gets put in a little bit better situation to succeed. So even though Breland isn't going to be a guy who maybe is a starter for us, if he's one of those first guys who comes in, if someone gets dinged up, if Dantzler, if Peterson is, needs to take inevitable. a series off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that that's going to happen. It sort of helps because then you're not throwing guys like Harrison Hand in there right away. You know, they're they're more of the like emergency cornerbacks rather than, Okay, if the other team goes five wide, we have to put in these like sixth round rookies or second year guys right. who are still unproven. Which isn't great when we play Aaron Rodgers twice a year. Yeah, yikes. That's an easy touchdown. I'm just looking for a maybe trade. Not, maybe not. He might be opting out. Who knows? Send him to San Francisco. There was an interesting so there was an interesting article I read on ESPN this week. Uh, it was about the San Francisco housing prices and how like rookies in the nfl will come in and be like all pumped because you know they get their first paycheck and they're ready to ball out and then they said that uh people in san francisco's organization have like a talk with them and it's like hey it's your money's not going to go as far as you think so like take your expectations down a few notches and that made me wonder like 
I wonder if guys are thinking about that in the draft. Like once you're in like the fourth or fifth round where you're not going to be getting a huge paycheck, are you like, ah, you know, maybe like Minneapolis, Kansas City, some of these smaller markets aren't so bad versus like you get drafted by the Giants or the 49ers and all of a sudden you're going to... Coastal teams are just like, hmm. Yeah, you're like, well, maybe my, you know, $200,000, $300,000 contract's not going to go quite so far. Yeah. Well, interesting too. I, I kind of remember reading something a while back when we got, when we drafted both um, Anthony Barr and Kendricks. And obviously everyone knows they were college roommates. They're good buddies. And then neither of them actually bought a place. They both, they lived in an apartment building, same apartment building. Well, right down the hall, fun, but maybe prices here, not so cheap, huh? The housing market, you just bought a house, Lou. You know better than anyone. It's hot. Hot, MPLS. hot, hot market. Yeah, I'm sweaty. I have a friend in uh, Chicago whose parents live in like a, a kind of fancy condo housing apartment building. And it's the same building that the Bears wide receiver Allen Robinson lives, lives in. Ooh. And uh, they, they said they've seen him with a jugs machine in the hallway. In the hallway? In the hallway. <laughs> exactly. In his work in. I'm like, dang, that's commitment. I, I respect that. <laughs> he's got to help he worked something out otherwise i'm filing a noise complaint <laughs> the, Unless the maybe i'm a bears fan but i wonder who's feeding them. the machine is it just people walking down the hallway yeah hey me? and he, the first person that comes out hey buddy can you can you feed me real quick one rep thanks he just tries to catch people as they're walking their dog down the hall or something letting them out it'll help you carry your groceries if you you feed him a couple <laughs> reps uh, that's a very strange visual. I'm just picturing him like in the. Uh, yeah, now I'm second guessing myself that it was Allen Robinson because he's making like millions and millions and millions a year. But it's one of their wide receivers who plays. I mean, I, honestly, anyone doing that is would be weird. Yeah, it's just funny to me of like a pro athlete, and you're like, "Hey, dude, what are you like? Get out of the hallway." <laughs> but anyway, let's move on from the Vikes. Let's go to the Twins. And the Twins made some history last week. Lou, you brought this up. So let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, it's really nice to see the Twins actually making some MLB history. On May 29th, 2021, Josh Donaldson scores the two millionth run in MLB history. Wow. Honestly, when I first heard that, I feel like there should have been more than two million. But I guess not. Yeah. Uh, first run for those of you wondering scored on April 22nd of 1876 by Red Stockings catcher Tim McGinley. Where were the Red Stockings from? They were in Boston still. The Boston Red Stockings. Red okay. Stockings. They must not, they must have just dropped, dropped part of the name there, but uh. Stockings just doesn't quite roll off the tongue quite as well as the Red Sox does, does it? No. Do you think there was a point where like society was like, we've moved on from stockings? We yeah, we're done with the now? stockings. Let's move it. Yeah, come on. Pantaloons to pants, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> as old English kind of got pushed out into the new world, you know? Maybe. But this also, getting back on topic, uh, the one millionth run was actually scored in 1975 as well. Uh, because we were very curious about that. So kind of interesting, 99 years for the uh, for the first 1 million runs. And now, I don't know, Dalton, I'm not the math guy. You do, you tell me how long it's been since the, the last million. What, 75 to now? <laughs> to uh, 21, yeah. Is that like 30, no, 45 years? 45, 46 years, Jeez. somewhere in there? That's kind of crazy. So took, the balls took 100 have been, years and then it the took... The balls have been tailored, tampered with somewhat in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, like I guess the league expanded, so maybe there are just more games in a season, but I don't know. That's kind of wild. So yeah, go Twins. Two millionth run. That's ours. Josh Donaldson. Do you think they he like, you know, asked to get home plate after the game? Like guys will keep the ball when they get their first hit or something. He's like, I dig that baby out. Yep, dig it out. <laughs> I'll take that. Thanks. <laughs> But some other Twins news. So we're recording this Sunday afternoon after the Twins just beat the the Royals. And the starter in today's game was Bailey Ober. He's a kind of a middling, mid-level prospect that the Twins called up, made his second career start today. 
pitched a pitched four innings. He had he was only at like fifty one pitches when they pulled him, so it's kind of surprising because he had been kind of cruising along, gave up uh, one run, but one run in four innings, solid start from him. But the talk about Ober is his height. He's like six nine, six ten, this huge guy. But he doesn't throw that hard, like 92, 94, which is... Uh, so he is John Roush spitting image. It's exactly what he is. Yeah, 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 pretty much. But it's really interesting because, like, they talk about how he really, Ober, really leverages his length and, like, so reaches extends. out there. Yeah. Yeah, so he gets seven feet. I think they said seven feet and, like, three or four inches. It was, like, 7.23 feet on his extension. And the MLB average is like six feet, three inches. So it's almost a foot extra. It's coming. That's coming a whole lot faster than 92 then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, so it plays like two, two mile an hour, two miles an hour faster. Cause you think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about MLB wanting to move the mound back six inches. Cause they thought that was going to make a big difference. Well then double that. And that's what Ober's doing. That, I mean, that, that's a huge difference. And as far as using his height to his advantage, Lou, have you ever played against anyone in any sport who's just like a, you know, their physical dimensions made them a, a freak and sort of just like changed the game, whether it was like a big football player or a tall pitcher or anything like that. You know, the, the, the only thing that really comes to mind is I think I was probably in like middle school and I was still playing basketball. I was playing park basketball and the two taller guys on my team were sick or they had to, I don't know, they weren't at the game and we were playing a team who had clearly gone, started going through puberty or something. And so they were probably like six, one to six, three across the board. Um, so, you know, not like ungodly high or like tall or big in any, any sense of the word for like a normal human, but like we're talking me in like seventh grade where I'm like five, six, five, seven, and I'm the next tallest guy on the team. Uh, so I'm playing center, you know, I'm doing the tip. I just didn't even jump. I was like, what I'm, what's the point here? Just so, get back on D. Yep. Slap the floor. Yep. Getting, I'm pretty sure one of those guys dunked that game. Um, so yeah, I was just way overmatched to be playing center, um, at any stage of my life, probably even when I was a little bit taller, a little chunkier. So that's really the only, only thing that comes to mind for me, but was that when you learned to foul so hard because you're a notoriously Probably. hard fouler. Oh. So you're like, well, if I'm giving up height, I'm not, I'm not going to let them get any easy buckets. Yeah, nothing easy, nothing free down in the paint, baby. There, there's no greater advantage than height in youth basketball because no one can really jump. So the tall kid can just extend their arms and get every rebound and just keep shooting or until they make it. Height in water basketball. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Take the team trip always, to the, the pool, the hotel with a pool and a hoop, and uh, you're always losing if you're the shorter guy in water basketball every time. That's when you got to start playing dirty and tugging at you know the swim, swim trunks, trunks under the water yep. and all that. <laughs> <laughs> calling me a hard fouler, Dalton. Unbelievable. How about you? You ever had any you encounters? Know, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like where we're from and the, the leagues we played in and everything, it's really not, we don't really see these, this like generational talents coming through, right? Like No, like if anyone was such a monster that they, their physical, you know, dimensions were changing the game, they'd be, they'd be playing elsewhere. The only other thing was, I guess it was before, I never played against them or with them, but Rashid Hagman was a former Washburn High uh, football and basketball player. So I would see him play football and basketball and he would just dominate everyone up and down the court. He went on to be a defensive lineman for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, right, former gopher, recently. right? Former gopher, yeah. Uh, so he was just a monster. Like no one could stop him doing anything. Uh, I mean, he was like 6'6", 280 in high school and just athletic is all hell so he he was just a monster and then he got to plus three over 300 for sure by the time he made it to the to the league but he's the only real guy i'd, I'd probably ever seen seen in person that actually reminds me so I, n I never played against her with him but so my high school we had a 610 basketball player who was like six or seven years older than me he ended up going to wisconsin lettered for four years was a team captain and like played overseas his name was jared bergeron but he was 6'10 and could like shoot a little bit. He was a little bit athletic. So for like, you know, the northern Minnesota teams where your center is maybe 6'4, 6'5, like he was an absolute monster. 
And he was pretty good. He was like the 40th ranked recruit in the country, but he was just putting up absurd stat lines. But then they're like, all right, we're going to have a showcase at the Target Center and we're going to invite Princeton down and you're going to play a team from Georgia. And guess whose team it was? It was DeMarcus Cousins in high school. <laughs> so Jared Bergeron and the white boys of, of Princeton High School are facing off DeMarcus against some Cousins. from, I, I don't remember if it was like Alabama or Georgia. It was in the Southeast. But it was DeMarcus Cousins in high school. And Cousins absolutely bodied us. Went for like 40 points, 20 rebounds, had just crazy dunks. And then, yeah, our guy was like missing dunks. It was just embarrassing. It was like, okay, yeah, you're you're good around here, but it's not going to play nationally. Yeah. But anyway, that's enough. That, <laughs> that's enough height talk. Since we are an analytics podcast, people, I've, got, people, uh, people. I've got a little bit of an analytics deep dive here for us. A little, little discussion on Alex Kirilov. Buckle so, up. So Hit Kirilov me. came up. You know, he was he started off a little slow, but he was hitting the ball really hard. Everyone was like, "Okay, things are going to even out. Things are going to be okay." And he ended up hurting his wrist, so he played. He played like 10, 15 games before getting a wrist injury. Uh, had nine hits. Three of those were doubles. Four of those were home runs. So, like, that's a pretty solid slugging percentage as far as, you know, he hit like 214, slugged 571 uh, in his first 15 games. He was out for two weeks, had wrist issues. Basically, like, okay, look, I'm going to have to get surgery at some point, but I think I can still swing. And I can play through this. So it's a question of, do I want to get surgery now and miss the season or wait until the off season? And he decided, no, I can fight through it. So he's been back for like another 15 or so games. Uh, and in those games, he has 15 hits hitting 254, which is better than he was hitting before. He was hitting 214 in the first, uh, first segment of his season. But he has three doubles, zero home runs in those 15 mm. hits. So there, there's a stat called ISO, ISO power, isolated power. And what it does is it takes your slugging percentage and subtracts your batting average. So basically what it does is it eliminates singles from the, the equation. So it's looking at how good are you at getting extra base hits. And so before the break, um, before his injury break, Kirilov's ISO power was 357, which is like excellent. Anything above 250 is really good. Last year, the MVPs, Jose Abreu in the AL, Freddie Freeman in the NL, they were both power hitting first baseman. Their isolated powers were... 300 and 299 so like Kirilov's power was even better than that very very good yeah yeah really good but in the second half since he's come back from his injury his wrist injury again he has 15 hits three doubles no home runs his iso power is 0.051 which anything less than 0.08 is awful for for comparison ben revere remember ben revere oh geez the, like, how could i forget yeah the ultimate Slap hit, slap it zero around. Power kind of speedy guy. His career isolated power is 0.058. So since Alex Kirilov's return, his power numbers are actually worse than Ben Revere's <laughs> oh, career God. average power numbers. Oh no. Yes. So I I was like, well, he's hitting 254. Like you know, maybe it's just kind of fluky thing where sometimes you're hitting the ball out of the park, sometimes you don't. But the fact that his power numbers were like crazy good in his first stint and have been dreadful since I'm actually a little concerned about it. They touched on it a little bit in the broadcast today and like, Oh, he hadn't hit a home run in five weeks, but it's not just that he's not hitting home runs. He's not hitting doubles. He's not hitting for any power at all. Ben Revere is a power hitter compared to the current state of Alex right. Kirilov. I mean, the, the, what comes to mind for me is like, what are we doing here? I mean, the twins lineup, the way Rocco has put together this team and what they kind of do. It's not, we're not just hitting singles. That's not what we do, unless I guess you're putting them in an early, like a top of the lineup spot for someone else to hit them in on a home run or a double. But, like, I mean, yeah, it's get the surgery, man. It's what I'm, I'm working towards getting the surgery. That this is, if this doesn't turn around soon, just call it quits. We know you're a top prospect. We know you're going to be a guy for us. But, yikes, worse than Ben Revere, that is. Sorry, buddy. Like, God, that I'm because right, Ben, Revere, was, ben Revere had no power, but he brought speed to the table and was more of a contact hitter. You know, he, he wasn't there for power. Like he was a center fielder who played a decent center field and could steal you some he's bases. Really he fast. Yeah. Slapsing was right. Kirilov, he's he's supposed to be more of a power hitter. I mean, he, exactly. he's kind of an all around hitter. 
but still he was project he's projected to be like a 25 homer guy so then if you're like well now we're going to turn you into ben revere he's not ben revere no kirilov's <laughs> not bringing anything with his legs or his glove like revere did i don't know i i get like the twins are in such a slump right now that they're they're trying to fight back and claw into playoff form so if kirilov your top prospect is like hey i can go they're going to put him in the lineup but right. you just wonder if they keep struggling and eventually they're like, okay, there's no way we're going to make the playoffs. Do they sort of shut them down and say, you know, we need you to be healthy for next season? Because I worry if you wait until the off season, get really? the surgery, and then maybe there's a setback or two and he's not ready for spring training next year. And then that throws well, off his next yeah. season. What and are we what, doing? We're wasting him now in a season where it's 99% chance that the Twins are not going to make the playoffs. Why are we risking next season? For is, that's, is that stat accurate, 99%? We, uh, baseball reference as of yesterday had the twins playoff percentage at 0.2 percent that's, lo <laughs> that's lower than most sites but yeah i did see a 0.2 percent chance of the twins making the playoffs as of june 5th yikes uh well sorry to get sidetracked but what i'm thinking of like if like you're saying the season's just pretty much down the drain already and he's just trying to fight through this injury what if he just gets hurt worse and then he's just never the same from it. Like, it was it really worth it to hit 254 for the Twins or 250, whatever, and no bombs, no doubles? Like, no, it's not worth it. If you're the top prospect that we have, like, you're the future of this team, I don't think it's worth it having him do this right now. If he can just get the surgery. I mean, yes, he. it's nice to have him get some, some like, MLB exposure and get some at-bats, and so he's ideally ready for next season but again like you said what if he does wait and then complications or setbacks or something and then he's just not ready again or he's just never the same player so i don't know there's a lot of what ifs but i don't know it's risky and it's definitely something to monitor like if if you know you, he he keeps getting hits i mean he's hitting 254 so that's a decent average as far as the twins go but i don't know definitely something to monitor right we got miguel sano hitting 161 still somehow Yikes! <laughs> I mean, he I guess a couple even in, good weeks too. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say even in his hot weeks, he only maybe hits two fifty, but he hits all of his hits are bombs or doubles. So it's tough to tough for him to dig back out of a slump where he starts the season hitting you know oh eighty. All right, we're hopping into a new segment now. We're going to take some calls. You know, we've, we've got a little bit of a listener base and some people have sent in some questions they have, some calls. And you know what? If you're listening to this and you've got something you want to say, something you want to rant about, feel free to send us a send us an audio file. You know, let us know what you're thinking. Either email it to us, uh, go on the Tell em Sports website, tellemsports.com, or direct message us on, on Twitter, at Tell em Sports, and we'll toss you on here. We'll talk about your take. So let's jump into the first one. Caller on line one. First, got to say, love the show. Uh, uh, first time, long time here. Saw the piece uh, from Stephen A. Smith and uh, Max Kellerman over there at uh, First Take about the Portland Trailblazers maybe making a move this summer to try to acquire Carl, Carl Anthony Towns uh, from the Timberwolves. First, uh, first thing I got to say is I'm pissed, man. I can't believe it. I can't believe they're going to try to snake our guy like that just when we're building something. But you know what? It got me thinking. It was as crazy as it was what they said. Stephen A. Smith said he's got an inside source telling telling everybody that, you know, the Blazers are going to get Carl Anthony Towns, a guy he trusts, told him that. You know, they just fired their coach, got bounced from the playoffs yet again. Uh, they're looking to move on probably from CJ. They're, I mean, they're going to blow the whole thing up. So my question is, screw them. Let's go get Dame instead. I love the pairing of Towns and Dame. I think they'd be so dynamic. I think that's a championship team right there. That's the duo that you need. Dame is a winner. Dame is cold-blooded. Towns is a beast in the paint, and he's one of the best shooting big men of all time. Hell yeah, I like that pairing. But you know what? It wouldn't look good in black and red. It looks great in green and blue and white. Let's go, Wolves! Hoo-hoo-hoo! Uh, all right. Thanks for that caller. Uh, I really personally like the, uh, here's my question. Screw them part of it. So really good point there. That's a valid <laughs> question. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm with you. 
why not? Why can't the Timberwolves be the team to go make the big splash? Why can't we snake somebody else from another team rather than getting our guys snaked every single time? Especially, I think losing Cat would just be devastating for the franchise. And then if that does happen, I mean, who's to say the new owners aren't just going to move the team now that their big new superstars gone? They'll try to rebuild from scratch, new city, new players, new team. Uh oh, this has me a little worried now. Yeah, I've said it before. I think the best defense to a, to the new ownership group moving the team would be a successful team. And if you trade towns, that ain't happening. But you know, you you hop on the trade machine online. Here's a here's a swap. Say the Wolves keep their pick. Say the Wolves hit lottery gold, get the number one, two, or three pick in the lottery this year. Trade that top three pick. Trade D'Angelo Russell for Dame Lillard, right there. The Trailblazers replace their point guard and they get a top three pick in a draft that has three, four dynamic players. They can choose who they want and get D'Lo. That's not a bad swap, if you ask me. Yeah, I hope the, uh, I hope the new group is listening. So uh, take some notes. Take some notes. I think in general, though, I am curious if the Wolves you know, hit lottery gold and get one of those top three picks where it stays with the team. Do they actually go through and draft somebody or do they use that pick to then acquire some other talent? Because yes, they would be getting a great rookie, but how long can you keep kicking the can down the road and taking these top rookies? Eventually you need guys who can contribute now because yes, Anthony Edwards had a good season this year, but as far as like where he falls on the spectrum of NBA players currently, he was like an average player, maybe even below average player. But his greatness is sort of like he looks really good for a rookie. So in the future, we think he's going to be great. You can't keep doing that with rookies. So at some point, I wonder, the Wolves get the you know first, second, third pick this year? Turn that into a player who can help now. Because Towns, three more years left on his deal. D'Lo, two more years left on his deal, I think. Or maybe that's the other way around. But either way, you have like two or three years before those guys are going to be out the door. Those are going to be some dark days after that. If there's real no real change, oh, oh right, boy. exactly. So it, it's going to be interesting, and you know, I think all of T Wolves Nation is going to be tuned in on lottery night in a couple of weeks because that that's going to dictate the future of this franchise. So let's hop into the next caller. Got a guy on line eight. Line eight. Let's hit it. Hi, this is uh, Henrik Holstroff calling from Hibbing, Minnesota. Uh, and I, I just wanted to ask a couple questions and give some feedback uh, on the podcast. And uh, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about is I feel like there's not a lot of local flavor from you guys lately. We've got a guy living on the East Coast, a guy moving to South Dakota. Isaiah lives God knows where. And Lucas, the only guy left in Minnesota, I don't, he doesn't even love the, our, our baseball team's best baseball player. And so it, it just, it feels like we need to get back to some roots there. So anyways, maybe you guys start talking about walleye fishing. You know, that's, that's really kind of what's hot in the streets right now. Um, and, and so I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on that and, and just kind of see why there's no local connection anymore. It feels like you guys have drifted away a little bit. Um, the other thing I really wanted to bring up, uh, and I think it's important to note, but it has to do with the new ownership of the Wolves and A-Rod. And we, you know, we know Anthony Edwards doesn't know who A-Rod is, but do we think that A-Rod knows who Anthony Edwards is? You know, small local town... You know, not a lot of big names, and it doesn't get a lot of media coverage. And I think that's kind of going to be the, the test, is if A-Rod knows who Anthony Edwards is. And it's going to play a bigger factor than a lot of people think. And so I just kind of want to get your guys' opinion and feedback and see what your thoughts are, um, if they are going to have a successful relationship, if we're going to be able to keep him around. Because uh, if they don't know each other, it's see you by Wolves. They're gone. Two years max. So, anyways, you know, long-time listener, first-time caller. Appreciate it. Uh, have a good one. I, I, 
I'd like to address the the Byron Buxton thing again. I've said on record, I know I came at him real hard, real fast. I never said I didn't like him. I hope for him to have the best. I did say he was overrated earlier this year. And guess what happened? I predicted he was going to get hurt again, and he's hurt again. I think he's making a comeback, though, soon. So I, for one, I will say it again, hope he proves me dead wrong yet again just wanted to get that out there first so i guess then that, for, that that brings us to the fishing talk well i was gonna say as for the other three branching out not staying local that's i can't control that that's just that's just i mean well we can spin this right we need a pr team minnesota coverage nationally across coast to coast minnesota coverage <laughs> Hey, we're working you, on a new slogan you can take the podcaster out of minnesota but you can't take minnesota out of the podcaster henrik holstrom wow. from hibbing minnesota that's poetry right there snaps so a couple things on the fishing so I, I was talking on the phone to my grandma a few days ago and she actually brought up fishing and she said the common mistake that people make when they're fishing they look for the water and the weeds as to finding good fishing spots. She says, you got to look to the skies. Look for the birds. The birds know where the fish are. Ooh. She also said to use corn as bait instead of worms. I have used corn as bait before. Works every time. So may maybe Grandma, Grandma Opal's onto something. Uh, there's that. Also, just want to you know run down the Minnesota DNR fishing safety guide. They say to always have sunscreen, hats, insect repellent, weather-appropriate clothing, sturdy shoes, sunglasses, and a whistle. I do not know if that's a rape whistle, but I think it's implied because fishermen and, you know, the seamen, they're skeevy bastards. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just, I, because... Henrik Holstrom, he doesn't sound like a guy who's going to be out there wearing a life vest. He seems like a guy who's pretty concerned about his tan lines. He's going to be out on the edge of the boat, showing off the arms a little bit. But you never know. You hit, a, you catch a bad wave, you hit your head, you fall in. Need that life vest. So Henrik Holstrom, I hope you're wearing a life jacket, life vest when you're out on the boat. Lou, do you practice safe boating? Of course, every time. The Mini Market Pod's a safe boating pod. So everybody, make sure you have your fishing licenses and all of those items I listed. So that's our fishing segment for the day. So I guess now we can address a sports question. Back to the wolves. About the wolves. Does the new ownership group, specifically Alex Rodriguez, know who Anthony Edwards is? Lou, you wanted to start on this one? Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love to. Uh, I think he does just specifically, though, because Anthony Edwards didn't know who A-Rod was, and that kind of went viral around Minnesota, at least. So... I'm sure A-Rod probably had heard the name before. And I mean, has A-Rod ever been really associated with basketball before this? I don't really recall anything. So I think he strictly knows who Anthony Edwards is because of that little thing where A Anthony Edwards didn't know who A-Rod was. So I think the relationship got off to a little rocky start. But I mean, if you're even a semi-competent owner and arguably the face of your franchise... I mean, you got to get to know them, right? So I'm not too worried yet. I think they're going to get along just fine. No, I think you're right. I think A-Rod, I think he's a prideful guy. He cares about his image a lot. And the fact that Edwards didn't know who A-Rod is, I think that hurt A-Rod. He's going to make, yeah, he's going to make a point to get to know him now. Which, I don't know, it might not be good because now maybe A-Rod holds a little bit of ill will toward the franchise. And I, I think... Okay, well, talking about A-Rod and caring about his image, did you see that he's starting a makeup line for I was going to say, I was going to say, if you didn't, yep, talk about image. Yeah, so talk about image. And so the Lori A-Rod ownership group doesn't currently have enough money to buy the Wolves. That's why there's like this two-year transition Installed. plan. Yeah. So if you don't want this ownership group to take over, do not go out and buy any men's makeup. Boycott protest no makeup for men hashtag no makeup for men at a rod but i mean 
you know, we talk, we talk about athletes and guys in Minnesota who fit in and are like one of us. A-Rod is just the opposite. I mean, a guy who's starting a makeup for men franchise that that's the, he's probably been hated by just about every twins fan for his entire career, at least his entire time with the Yankees. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's, he is, he is the quintessential outsider from us Minnesotans. I mean, yeah, tough, tough, tough. Maybe I'm hoping though, this makeup launch is just his way of saying, Hey, Minnesota, we're going to make you beautiful. We're going to revamp the team. New look wolves. I don't know. That's I'm just spitballing here. So hopefully that's what he's doing. All right, let's we'll spin it positive. We'll spin, spin but team. I will to say that the mini market pod is a hashtag no makeup for men pod. I'm sticking with that. Did you just say whilst? <laughs> God, whilst. I meant I will say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whilst I'm saying this, thou yeah. shall not put makeup on. Let's head back to the lines. Line four, you're on live the mini market pod. Hey guys, this is the travel man. He's been here and he's been there, man. He's been just about everywhere. It's the Travel Man, stopping off in the land of 10,000 lakes to deliver his takes. I called to talk to you about the Minnesota Wild. I think they are going to be the first Minnesota team to win the championship. I can't wait to see him skating around the rink holding Lord Stanley's Cup. I think that trophy is absolutely the top trophy in all professional sports. I think their big concerns are, one, get Kaprizov signed. I know they threw an eight-year contract at him and his agent rejected it. So I think it's just too long. Maybe throw a four-year $40 million or a five-year $50 million at him and see if he would accept that. Just get him signed. The other big concern is getting a top-line center. I don't know if going after the Buffalo center, Eichel, is worth it if you have to give up Fiala as well as other top players. Just because we have so much depth right now that if you give up three or four quality guys to get him, it just might weaken the team too much. But otherwise... I think the Wild are definitely headed in the right direction. All right. Always great to hear from you, Travel Man. Thanks for the uh, the take on the Wild there. Uh, I'd like to start by just saying I 1,000% agree with you that Lord Stanley's Cup is by far the best trophy in sports. And I would, I would love to see the Wild carrying that baby around, passing it teammate to teammate, skating around the ice. Hopefully at the X, hopefully we win. And, you know, home ice, always love that. So... Great, great take there. Uh, secondly, Kaprizov, I, again, fully in agreement. Got to get that guy signed. I don't care what it takes. We got to have him. Otherwise, what the hell are we going to talk about on this podcast come winter? We talk about Kaprizov all the time. Get him signed. Get it done. If you're Bill Guerin, if you're the wild GM, you would be sent out of town. There, there would be an angry mob with torches and pitchforks Literally, outside of the have, X if you let. I would have up. a pitchfork in hand. It would happen. Yeah, I think the the state of Minnesota would riot if you let Kaprizov walk. So if you're Bill Guerin, you're like, I mean, that makes sense why Kaprizov's agent declined the first offer because he's like, oh yeah, you you think you're gonna keep your job and keep your fans if you let your star young player walk? No, you're gonna you're gonna pay good what agent. we want you to pay. Yeah, good agent. Oh yeah. I mean, and so far he's shown he's worth it. He's so good. Uh um, and then the the last take he had there about getting a, a, a good center. Um I again I gotta agree with Travel Man. It's it would be really sweet to get Eichel, but it feels like these guys are just kind of gelling right now. So and like to give up guys like Fiala or anyone else is just it's kind of like the the core of our team. So like I don't know how much that would really affect it. Obviously, Eichel is a very, very good player, very top-end talent. But if we would have to, I mean, give up essentially the core of our team, plus we've got the expansion draft to think about and all this other stuff, 
it might just change the wild and they might not be the same team that they were. Like, I think a big reason we made the playoffs this year was kind of that, that team camaraderie and they, they all knew kind of the style of play that they had to have. And they, they kind of banded together and got it done. I mean, that's just kind of what happens um, sometimes if you're almost an underdog. So I, I totally agree. The center position was weak, so I looked into it. I, I looked into it a while ago, and so on the season, if you look at just the centers on the Wild uh, Wilds roster, and these are the guys listed on NHL.com as centers. So don't come at me if one of these guys didn't play center at some point during the season. But if you just look at their rankings among other centers in the league in terms of points, I'm going to throw out their ranking. Jewel Erickson Eck was 54th among centers in points this year. And that was the best for the wild. Bonino was ranked 70th, Victor Rask 76th, and then Sturm and Bukestad were tied. They were ranked 106th amongst centers in points. And then Marcus Johansson, Johansson, whatever, was ranked 128th among centers. So those are rankings just among centers. The wild did not have That's anyone bad. in the top 50 in terms of points. I get that how points many teams everything. are there? <laughs> what, 31 teams? That, that's brutal. And then, and then secondly, the point about Eichel. Um, some people might not be super familiar with Jack Eichel. I, myself, am not super familiar with him. Um, but looking at him this season, so he only played 21 games because he had some injuries. And he had 18 points in those 21 games. So he averaged like 0.86 points per game. If you look at Kirill Kaprizov, he averaged 0.93 points per game. So pretty comparable. And you think of how often Kaprizov was getting points and how electric he was to add another guy who's almost to that Ooh. level. I mean, I don't think I realized that Eichel was that good. So that would be super exciting. But like you said, like the travel man said, to decimate the other lines to build maybe like one mega line with Eichel Kaprizov, I'm not sure that's the way to really build a sustainable contender. Because then it's more precarious because one guy gets injured on the top line and you're screwed, whereas the depth is, is something that is going to come into play for a deep playoff run. Exactly. Yep. And then one final just note that I wanted to make when I was doing this points research. So Kaprizov in league-wide, he was 22nd in points. He had 51 points on the season. First place, Connor McDavid, he had 105 points, more than double what Kirill Kaprizov had. Think of how electric and fun to watch Kaprizov was. And every point he had, McDavid had two. Yeah. How incredible oh. is that? I, like, th that's hard to fathom. I don't even I don't even know what to say. Like yeah. I'm just picturing that because like every highlight is Kirill Kaprizov. He was getting national highlights and everything, and just he was half of the top guy. Like what do we? <laughs> yeah, like it's a little worrisome because it's like okay, we have this guy that we think is a god amongst men, and he's 22nd in the league. Like I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Kaprizov. He's amazing, but I just thought it was. It blew my mind that there's someone who has twice as many many points as Kirill Kaprizov. Just something to touch on there. But anyway, we'll do one more. Back to the lines. Let's go line seven. The other thing I want to talk to you guys about is the Vikings. Jesus, travel man, how many lines are you on here? I've only got ten of them. You're on what seven I'm of them? I'm not sure what is going to happen with them because. I do not think they did a really good job this offseason. I don't think they picked up a number three wide receiver, which is something that we need extremely bad. Uh, Jefferson and Thielen, T-H-I-E-L-E-N. <laughs> I think they are the best one-two combo in the NFL. I just think they are absolutely awesome uh, with some Offensive line help and some depth to hold up. And with Cook, I think our offense is going to be top five in the NFL if our new offensive coordinator can actually settle into the position. Uh, as far as the defense, I think everybody knows what's going on there with the defensive line. Our big all-world number 99, get him in there, get him playing everything. But with all that talk about him wanting to be the highest paid defensive player... I just think that that distraction might be too much. I think what they should probably do with him if this is a concern is just sign and trade and just get some picks and some other players in here because we can't have a distraction like that. Um, 
But I do think the Vikings are definitely headed for the playoffs. If Cousins has a good year and we can get the lead so there's no pressure on them, I do actually think we can get to the, for sure, the divisional round and maybe even the NFC title game. If we trail at all in the playoffs, I don't think Cousins has what it takes to actually lead us in a high-pressure situation. But I do think he can lead us if we have the lead and he is just simply executing the offense and is comfortable. So a couple points there. So we'll start with the wide receivers. I think he makes a good point as far as the third wide receiver. It seems like the Vikes are going to use their tight end as like a pseudo third wide receiver this year with Irv Smith and uh, Tyler Conklin maybe. But if you look at last season, as far as like wide receiver stats go, Jefferson had 1,400 yards, seven touchdowns. Thielen had 925 yards and 14 touchdowns. But then to get down to that third wide receiver, as far as yardage goes, I mean, Chad Beebe had 201 yards, two touchdowns, only 20 catches all year, so a little more than one catch a game. B.C. Johnson, in, coming into the year last year, everyone was like, oh, B.C. Johnson's going to you know, be our number three wide receiver. He finished the season with 14 catches, 189 yards, zero touchdowns. I mean, that's a... <laughs> There, that's not a guy you can count yeah, on. It's no. So that that is a little concerning. But I mean, you're the Vikes guy. What do you think, Lou? Yeah, the way I think about it is like, yes, we have these really good guys in Thielen and Jefferson, and of course Irv Smith. I'm a big fan of him. But I mean, just the fact that like this other guy, this third guy that be on the field, third fourth guy, like defenses can pretty much just like not worry about them. Like they really haven't proven they were going to do much. BC Johnson, Chad BB. So like they either really need to step it up and become that guy that, that not to be like the possession guy or the, the go-to guy or anything, but just making it to have that fourth option. That's a legitimate option for Kirk cousins just makes the offense that much better. Plus you have to worry about Dalvin cook. So, I mean, I think we've talked about it a lot actually. Um, I know Connor's on board as well. Third wide receiver is, is would be a really big step for this this offense, I think. Also, shout out travel man. Love the uh, the shot across the bow on Ike. Can't uh, can't go a podcast when he's missing one without uh, without throwing a jab in there. So we haven't done that yet. So I appreciate you going with the flow, keeping us honest here. Hopefully Ike knows how to spell Thielen now. But yeah, then then on to Daniel Hunter. I mean, we talked about that last week. He's holding out. He's a concern. Have, have your opinion changed any, a week later, Lou? It's kind of same old. He's still out of OTAs, but hasn't missed anything mandatory yet. Yeah, I I'm still really hopeful. Daniel's my favorite player on the team right now. He's just so fun to watch, and it's but like at the same time, I think about. If he doesn't want to be here, if he doesn't want to contribute to this team, he's got, I mean, we got to get rid of him. Like we got to trade him for something. We got to get some value from him before he just walks away. Right. Cause I mean, that's the Minnesota way is we're going to try to hang on to him. Then this doesn't work out. This deal doesn't go through and then he's just gone. So that's what does really worry me. Um, so I hope we can get this done and we can sign him, make him good, whatever it needs to be. Something gets worked out because I, like I say, he's my favorite player. I would hate to lose him, but if we're going to lose him, we got to try and get something for him. He's just too good to just let walk away. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then the last point, we haven't really got into the Vikes a whole lot recently, you know, off season, not a lot going on. So I'm sure we'll deep dive later, but do you put the Vikes as a playoff team right now, Lou? I mean, if you were projecting next season, where do you have them? It looks like, I mean, travel man's got them making a, at least one you know, winning at least one game in the playoffs, but where do you put the Vikes this season? Yeah. I mean, I'm hopeful every, every preseason beginning of the season. So I, I do like some of the additions they made in free agency. Now that I think the defense is going to be much, much better than it was a year ago. Uh, and I think you made a good point with hopefully this offensive coordinator can, can stay. I mean, it should be pretty similar system. So it should be somewhat familiar for Kirk cousins. He's not flipping every, every year again. So I do think we're going to make the playoffs, the NFC title game though, that, that is a bold prediction travel man. And even if we get there, guess what's going to happen. They will shit the bed just like they always do. So sorry, I'm sounding like my father here, but uh, it's a vibe. I, I do long story short. I, I'm hoping for the playoffs as well. Are you a Kirk Cousins guy? Do you, do you think Kirk's a, a playoff 
playoff caliber QB. I know Connor's a big Kirk guy. Ike's flipped back and forth. I don't remember about you. I, uh, yeah, I'm kind of on the fence. Like he is, I do think he is by far the best option. And last year he really, I had some doubts, but he, he kind of, kind of put those to bed a little bit with his stats. But the thing is, he's not really a winner. I know last year he, we didn't win a ton of games and our line was atrocious, but I agree. If we're down late in a playoff game or a close game to get us anything like that, I just, I don't really trust him. Like I just don't have the trust in in Kirk Cousins to just lead that comeback, that last fourth quarter drive, fourth and ten or whatever. I I just don't have the confidence in him to get it done. I, I mean, I don't think I've had that confidence in any Vikings quarterback ever, though. So Yeah, it's kind of a question of is it is it Kirk or is it just or the Vikings? It, yeah. As a Vikings exactly. fan, you're so jaded, so expectant of bad things to happen, whether it's 12 men in the huddle or <sighs> The absolute choke fest that happened in Philly. It's just like you expect this franchise to disappoint you when it matters most. And it's like, is that a Kirk thing? You know, do we really hate Kirk or, you know, not think he's a winner or is it we just don't think the Vikings can do it for us? Right. Hard to sort of separate those two things as a fan. But that was fun. That was fun taking calls. We're probably going to do this again. I mean, we'll do it as often as we get callers. So if you're listening, send us your stuff, send us it in, send it in again. You, you can go on uh, the Tell sports website at Tell sports. We have our contact info on there or DM us on Twitter. Just, you know, take a voice memo on your phone, do whatever you want, make a song, make it your own, send it in and we'll discuss. So that was a new segment on the mini market pod. So that's going to do it for this week. Lou, this was fun. A little two man pick and roll, two man weave. Always fun to be a part of the two-man weave. I can't wait to do it again. I'm sure it'll be soon. One uh, one podcast for, for all four of us was just a little bit too much, I think. So a little R&R for the rest of the group this week must be. A little mix and match. But you know what? This was Sweet and Salty, Lou and Dalty on the Mini Market Podcast brought to you by Tell em Sports. Check us out online, tellemsports.com or follow us on Twitter at Tell em Sports. Rate, review, subscribe, all that. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.